holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Ojo ahora el error de Tim Krul. Le ha robado el balón a Guamillán. Gol, 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 gol. Gol del Arsenal. Qué error de Tim Krul. Qué falla del portero del Norwich. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. I could get used to this. These yeah. goodly mornings, they keep on coming. They sure do. It's great. We have got a lot to get through. Arsenal winning a game 4-0, clean sheet. Bakayo Saka signing a new contract. Uh, some some positive light at the end of the tunnel regarding Aubameyang's contract. And of course, everybody wants to know about one man's goal-scoring record. Can Cedric Suarez beat Thierry Henry with his goal-a-game record so far? If he's got any sense, he'll fracture something else about now and retire from Arsenal (laughs) representation with this glorious record intact. I don't think we need to even make jokes about injuries because, you know, it could happen. This is this sure. is Arsenal after all. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's actually an exclusive. That's an exclusive line from the Athletic. That's happened already. Probably. Oh my god! Um, no, I mean it, it was quite incredible. I mean, I, I guess you know it's your day, don't you? When the substitute right back comes on and bangs one in with his left foot from twenty five yards. Uh, but yesterday was a very very good day for Arsenal Football Club it's for sure, lots of reasons. Yeah, for lots of reasons. And look, we'll get to we'll get to the other reasons a little bit later. But let's start with the match. Let's start with a 4-0 win over Norwich. Um, you know, goals... Um, we've won games under Mikel Arteta, but we've, we've, we've had few games where we've kind of banged in the goals. And I know there was an element of um, opportunism about a couple of them, but I don't think um, we can... Uh, what's the word? We can ignore the fact that uh, Norwich, yes, they made mistakes, but we have a striker. We have a man up top who is absolutely predatory he is uh, always on his toes very very rarely caught on his heels and a lot of the goals that he scores are just from this instinct he has of being in the right place at the right time Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang became the fastest player in Arsenal's history to reach 50 goals for the club and Mm -hmm. then he he got to 51 and he did I, I don't think that's necessarily surprising to anybody because we know what kind of a player he is what caliber of a striker he is but to do it when you consider the fluctuating fortunes of Arsenal since he arrived at the club in January 2018 you know it would be fair to say that he he's not playing in a team quite as good as the one that Thierry Henry played in Uh, so to 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 achieve that goal scoring record in those circumstances in that context really is uh, a remarkable return from uh, from Aubameyang 
It is. He, he's done it frighteningly quickly. And that's off the back of, I think, his longest Premier League run without a goal. I think he was four games or something like that. And so, you know, it would have been even faster had he managed to, you know, nick one in the game before or something. But it is a pretty incredible record. Faster than Omri, faster than Ian Wright. Um, and I thought, actually, you're right to point out the nature of his two goals in this game. They sort of show just that anticipation he has, but also the work rate. I mean, he's such a sort of gazelle on the pitch that we sort of, it looks effortless at times. But the closing down, you know, that's really tough going and sometimes it won't pay off for you and you've got to keep going. You've got to keep looking for those opportunities. And he does it. He does it relentlessly and he does it this season having played an extraordinary number mm. of minutes since the restart. I mean, he, he's like the one guy who never really gets a rest, you know? Yeah, I mean, he did get it against Sheffield United and we could see that it was, it, you know, he, he benefited from that. And you say True. most time or lots of times it doesn't work when you, you close down the goalkeepers. Most of the time it, it doesn't work, you know? It, it's mm. it's so rare uh, to force that kind of a mistake from a goalkeeper. So it's I'm not saying it's thankless running, but it's high-intensity sprinting and for... You know, 99.9% of the time, it's no reward. But on occasions like last night, when you can close down a keeper and like, uh, I'm sorry... I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that it was Tim Krul. Uh, I loved, mm. I loved, uh, the, I left the halftime analysis on, which I don't really do. And the, you know, the Alan Partridge guy on BT Sport, um, Michael Owen? No. <laughs> the, the, the presenter guy, Dan, uh, Dan, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Thingy, whatever his name is. Thingy, yeah, yeah. that guy. Uh, I, I don't know his name. He's always sort of, uh, uh, yeah, he does breakfast TV as well. That guy. Is that, the, are they the same guy or are there two guys? Oh no, it's the Norwich guy. Yeah. Was it Jake Humphreys? That's the guy. That's yeah. the fella. And he was talking about Tim Krul being the, he's the nicest guy. The nicest guy you could ever meet. He's been Norwich's best player. And tonight he made a mistake. And oh, he's a, but he's a lovely guy. And I was like, fuck that guy. Yeah. <laughs> he could he's be. He's got previous with He us, could be Mother for sure. Teresa for all I care. Uh, we've, we've had our history with him. So not only was it great to see Obama and close him down and, and, uh, you know, force him into the mistake, uh, but to score the goal. Uh, on top of that, I, I laughed out loud in my chair. I did. I was like, ha, 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 ha. Uh, and I enjoyed that. I liked that. I did hear as well that, you know, in the opening sort of 15 minutes of the game, wherever it was, Tim Krill was very much one of the most vocal players out there. You know, you could hear his shouts kind mm. of above the din of everyone else. And he went very, very, very quiet. After that goal, which doesn't surprise you. <laughs> um, so, look, that was the opening goal from uh, Aubameyang, and he turned provider a few minutes later with... Uh, it was a lovely Arsenal move, wasn't it? David Luiz with uh, the kind of pass that we know he can make, um, mm-hmm. you know, from that central position in a, in a three, Kieran Tierney to Aubameyang, Aubameyang, and who is, who's careering into the box at top speed other than Granit Xhaka? What the fuck? 2020 mm. is a strange year, James. Lots of weird and surreal stuff has happened, but that's right up there. That's high on the list. Yeah, I saw Mikel Arteta was asked, I think it was this week, about your observation you made in your blog about one goal from midfield. And he was pretty emphatic in saying, Mm. you know, Arsenal needed to improve in that respect. And fair play to Shaka. I mean, he actually made a run to get into the box and do it. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think of other occasions where he's ended up that high up the pitch and I can't remember too many. Yeah, it doesn't happen that often. Normally he shoots from about 30 yards, doesn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, a, a decent run, decent finish, good move too. And that was, I thought, the hallmark of sort of Arsenal's start in the game. You know, the, particularly in the first half, the, the ease with which we were able to kind of pick out our wing-backs. You know, we had real width and Norwich. I don't know if they expected us to play differently, if they thought maybe that the, the, the wing-backs wouldn't be there, given that we were at home in this match. But they really struggled to come to terms with it and it led to them actually changing things around at half-time. Yeah, and I think what was most pleasing was the fact that it wasn't really just on one side I think we've had a left-sided bias and we, we look at Kieran Tierney and, and think this mm. guy we love we love Kieran Tierney and look at what he brings to the team but we haven't really been able to replicate it down the right-hand side so I think what was uh, you know pleasing for me was A the fact that Hector Bellerin was overlapping quite a bit and getting mm-hmm. into good positions and B, that he was being found. So it looked like there was an intent to play that way, to to release Bellerin down the right-hand side. I think the final ball a couple of times uh, could obviously have been better. But when we look at what Hector has produced in the last few games and, and one of the issues we have is that uh, you know, he hasn't really been going beyond uh, the halfway line uh, from an attacking point of view. Uh, it, it was nice to see. I mean, do you think there's some correlation between the fact that um, it was Nelson rather than Pepe there? I don't know. It was, it was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, Nelson was was narrower than we're used to seeing Pepe. It almost looked at times like Arsenal had a kind of... It almost looked like a Bamiang and Nelson were sort of narrow strikers, and yeah. Lacazette was dropping really deep, uh, almost sort of tracking. I think Norwich's central midfielder stopping them playing out. Nelson was kind of inside the width of the penalty box, wasn't he? Yeah, he was that sort of inside right channel, looking for the mm. ball quite a bit, and he did combine well with Bellerin there. So, you know, again, that that comes from the back three, and we spoke in the last show, didn't we, about how, how much more comfortable our defenders are in in that formation. Um, mm. So, you know. Doing it. Yeah, go on. Just on Bellerin, I was going to say, I, I thought it was encouraging to see him get in. I, you know, I know it's slightly sort of he's been open to criticism recently. I did think that if you compared him and Tierney, Tierney was a lot more decisive with his final ball. Mm. You know, Bellerin, I thought you could see maybe a little bit of a lack of confidence when he did actually get to the byline. There were a couple of occasions, one in each half, where I thought, you know, he, he could have picked somebody out potentially. Yes, I think that's true. Uh, there was one quite good cross in the first half, but there were moments where I think the ball needed to come a little bit quicker from him it was one I think he got the ball caught under his feet right on the touchline yeah. but but yeah. you know I think the encouraging thing is is getting into those positions and and um, providing the team with a bit of attacking balance rather than just being weighted uh, to, to one side or the other um, can we talk a little bit about Danny Ceballos because mm. uh, I've got some maybe a question about him later on but I found it really interesting to listen to Mikel Arteta. I don't know if you were watching with the crowd noise or without the crowd noise. I had crowd noise, actually, so you'll have to fill me in here. Right. So throughout the game, throughout the game, from basically first minute to last minute, you could hear Arteta shouting at Danny Ceballos, Danny, Danny. And he was, you know, instructing him about when to press or where to be on the pitch. Um, Mm. And I think... The, the sideline coaching from Arteta really worked because Ceballos had probably his best game for us since Burnley. And look, people can say it was Norwich. Of course, it was just Norwich. Uh, you know, with all due respect, it is the team that's bottom of the table. So, you know, is that the, uh, the marker for where you want a, an Arsenal central midfielder to be? But I, I wonder 
if this is something Arteta is trying to take advantage of, the fact that we don't have a crowd, you know, the fact that he can, his voice can carry, that the, the instructions that he's giving from the sideline can be heard. Because if Sabias is over the other side of the pitch under normal circumstances, he's not hearing anything. Um, yeah. So I, I, I thought it was really interesting the way that Arteta was trying to guide him through the game. Um, uh, and it, I don't know. I mean, how much can we put it down to what he was saying and what he was doing? But, but you know, as a guy who knows that position very well and knows the sort of qualities and and the the, the attributes that Sabios has, I wonder is this like a real learning experience, a teaching game almost? You know what the solution to this is? An earpiece. <laughs> we send Sabas out with a little earpiece when crowds come back and uh, Arteta's got like a, a Britney Spears microphone on and yeah. he can just whisper tactical nothings into his ear um, yeah I thought Sabas was actually really good in this game and it wasn't just sort of like him hairing around as he is want to do when he is sufficiently fired up but his touch was great there was one brilliant turn in the centre circle I remember there was yeah. an outstanding pass wasn't there to Lacazette in the first half Should've whose scored. header was straight at the goalkeeper Should've I mean scored. Yeah, another difficult game, day in front of goal, I thought, for Lacazette. Should have scored there. Should have done better when Reese Nelson tucked mm. it back from the left-hand side. Mm. Um, but Ceballos, I thought, was kind of all action. I thought Shaka was good too. I mean, we talked yeah. about our dysfunctional midfield. This was a game, albeit against Norwich, where the midfield sort of worked. Yeah, what did Arteta say afterwards? The first 43 minutes were great. Uh, you know, it really right. worked like he, he wanted. And then we gave away, I think it was Mustafi gave away a free kick just outside the box and uh, Emmy Martinez made a, a fantastic save um, but yeah I mean I think it did work and then obviously Norwich changed things at, at half time uh, I think did they make a triple sub at half time I think uh, they I'm did I'm not sure actually wow yeah. I think they uh, did yeah it was a substantially it was a big bold change wasn't it and they took off Pookie and stuff like that so and they switched the system too and in fairness to them for that first 15, 20 minutes or whatever it was, the first half, it was a bit more of an even contest. And I think it slightly pushed Arteta into the change that he made. Yeah, well, look, I, uh, we, we've spoken... It was a triple sub, by the way. Yeah. Correct about that. Uh, we have... I mean, we made a halftime change, of course, as well. Rob Holding coming on for, for Mustafi. Mm. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, the in-game management is a topic of conversation on this podcast and others as Mikel Arteta kind of learns on the job. Um, I, I thought it was pleasing yesterday that when he, you know, when it became clear that Norwich had this extra man in midfield, our change was to put an extra man in midfield to try and stop their dominance. And, you know, it's, I'm not sure it worked straight away. Um, but what we did was, was, uh, we had the ability maybe to push Norwich back a little bit rather than play the game in our half. And from there, they made a mistake. I think that that mistake, which led to Aubameyang's second goal, really mm. just took the wind right out of their sails. But in terms of reacting, in terms of a tactical uh, switch, which was designed to counter what the opposition had done at half time, that was pleasing to see. It was, yeah. I mean, I suppose the most crucial change was Dermich coming on for Norwich because he, he chucked an assist to Babiang's way. But I, I liked Artessa's response. I mean, Joe Willock had a funny half hour or so on the pitch, but you could see that he, you know, chasing back, he maybe gave us a little bit more than, than Nelson did. Nelson was quite unlucky to get hooked, I thought. I he was having agree. A game. I agree. 
you know, uh, I think he created some chances in the first half. I thought he was lively on, on both sides when he got the ball. Mm. I personally would have preferred to see Lacazette come off because he had another another poor game, really. You know, I was surprised Lacazette started, to be honest. I, I kind of was too, but I sort of saw the logic in it when... When you look at what we've got to come, I think it's. I think Lacazette, as we said on Monday, is probably now second choice to Inketia for that position. Um, and I think what Arteta will be looking for against Wolves is is a, a performance of much uh, greater energy and intensity from Eddie Inketia. So he's looking at this game. He's thinking, well, we're playing Norwich. They're bottom of the league. Uh, I want to save Inketia for um, for uh, the, the game against oh, Wolves. Yeah. Uh, if Lacazette gets a goal in this game and boosts his confidence, then, you know, it works out well. Uh, so sure. I could see why he was starting him in this game. I don't think it's a, a an indication that his opinion on who his best option is in that centre-forward position in the system that he uses has changed. No, I don't think so either. I think it was a, a chance for Lacazette and unfortunately as we mentioned he didn't really take the chances that did come his way but yeah I thought I think if you look at the stats Nelson created more chances than anyone else in the game mm. even in the time he was on the pitch so I thought he was a bit unlucky to be you know pulled off like he was but you know I, I like that Arteta responded to what Norwich did and Fortunately, they handed us another goal and that really killed the game, to be honest. Yeah, and again, another great example of Aubameyang just sort of sniffing danger, sniffing the, mm. the potential, the possibility that there might be, you know, one-tenth of a half of a chance or something. You know, he's just there. This this sort of instinct he has to be in those areas, in the right position at the right time. You know, it came to him. He made no mistake. That was 3-0 and that was always going to be the game. But can, can I can I go back? right to the start of the second half and Emmy Martinez made what I thought was a really really good save there was a low drive from outside the box uh, I can't remember who the player was and I can't find the video now but the way that he he took that ball it was low and it was sort of slightly going behind him and the safe hands that he showed there is a really good save but really safe hands because it was one of those that you could have uh, you could have just spilled a bit and, and an opposition player comes in and takes a rebound. The save just before halftime. You know, he really is... Uh, I'm not going to say giving Mikel Arteta a headache because this won't be a headache in any way, shape or form for him. But he's he's been given an opportunity and he is showing that, you know, there is a there's a good goalkeeper in there. Yeah, and it was a different kind of test, I thought, for him against Norwich. Arsenal dominated possession for, for, long, for long periods of the game, maybe more so than we're accustomed to seeing this season. And his concentration was tested, but it was absolutely there. And one of the things that has struck me about him is that he's got a real ability, and I don't want to jinx him, but to when he makes a save, to hold the ball to him you know mm. it's it's quite rare that he'll sort of parry it out into danger it, you know he takes the ball very very cleanly usually and very well and uh, I've been really impressed by him I, I know they have thought highly of him for a long time I remember us having a conversation on here like maybe two or three years ago about Arsenal feeling oh he's, he could be a number two and I think they didn't do it in the end I think they kept Ospina or something like it but they yeah. they have always liked him and 
I'm just glad that he's getting this run because it must be a weird, weird, weird position he has in the squad as a very clear number two, you know, waiting for these opportunities. It must be strange psychologically and and for all the affinity he feels for Arsenal and the fact that he's been there since he was a teenager, there must be moments of frustration in that. And yeah. this must feel great for him right now. For sure. And, and you know, he's given some interviews in the not-too-distant past where he's talked about his desire to be a number one goalkeeper like he's not content with the weird strange life of a of a number two a guy who's kind of happy to play back up and play some cup games and and just sort of go through his career like that which seems to be the case with some goalkeepers maybe they do have higher ambitions maybe they're just happy with what they've got when they get to a club and they're they're willing to accept that position as number two but but he's spoken quite um stridently about wanting to be a first choice goalkeeper first and foremost at Arsenal and if it's not at Arsenal it's going to be somewhere else Mm. you know if you're a club around Europe right now you're looking for a goalkeeper all of a sudden I think he's somebody who who you would be putting on your list you know because of the performances that he's putting in particularly in the circumstances in which he's come in to make them you know because uh, he has been a number two he hasn't played a great deal we're off the back of a three month break and he's come in he's looked sharp he's making saves Um, you know there are things I I think like every player he can improve but overall I've been really really impressed with him yeah, I think, look, like the rest of this Arsenal team, there are some some tough tests potentially on the horizon, some big games coming up. Mm. But up until now, I think he's been really good. And I agree, it's the sharpness that he showed against Norwich to make those saves when he needed to at quite important points in the game, you know, just either side of half-time, yeah. I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, we can be a little bit vulnerable when we concede or when the the momentum of the game sort of changes. You know, that old... Yeah. That old um, cliche about 2-0 being the most dangerous lead etc etc but you know if it goes 2-1 a few minutes into the second half you know there have been times when Arsenal have shown that that's been a problem for them you know psychologically to concede there would have would have been difficult so we then brought on uh, Eddie Nketiah for Lacazette and Cedric um, for uh, Hector Bellerin I've got a question on that a a little bit later on so we'll leave that uh, to one side but you know a nice moment for him, for, for, for Cedric after waiting, how long? Six months almost, uh, maybe a bit less than that to, to make his debut. He had the injury that he arrived with. Then he got the uh, the collision, I think, with Bukayo Saka, which smashed up his face and, and kept him out for a little bit longer. Um, a nice moment for, for the player and uh, the celebration seemed to capture that quite well. Yeah, I think clearly he's actually made a, a pretty positive impression at London Colney. Mikel Arteta's been quite fulsome in his uh, praise of him. In fact, he, he praised him after the game as well, didn't he? He said, of all our uh, people in that part of the pitch, he's got the best end product. And he's sort of alluded to that a mm. couple of times. Uh, I don't think that means he's expecting him to be banging in goals like that every single week. And he, he did get a little bit of luck with the deflection. Yeah. But... Listen, it's a really nice moment for him and, uh, well, very overdue. I mean, you know, he had to wait a long time for that and he's had his injury problems as well. So I think despite my cynicism about the signing, I even managed to be pleased for him. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And look, you know, the, 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 
the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, as they say, or in the Cedric playing. Um, so, you know, d- judgments of him as a player um, can be made once he's played some games for us and we can uh, we can take uh, our own view on the efficacy of, of the signing uh, as and when he starts to play for us. But yeah, Arteta has been very positive about, you know, his qualities, about his two-footedness, about his ability to deliver in the final third. So... Mm. Uh, yeah, we'll come back to that and we'll come back to the, to the Bellerin thing. But but in general, I mean, anything else we need to touch on in, in that game? You know, it was a 4-0 win over the uh, the team who's bottom of the league. Uh, we were we were given a little bit of help by them, but I think, um, like we said, it, it, is, it is in no small part down to the awareness that we showed on the pitch. I thought there was quite a bit to like about the performance, uh, particularly in the first half. Uh, you know, the, the, the threat that we posed them. Uh, I, I enjoyed uh, quite a lot of what we did um, in, in this particular game. And like, again, with the caveat, I realize, you know, this is a game against uh, the bottom of the league team. But, you know, we've played so-called poor teams or small teams, uh, you know, this season and not done that. So it's nice that we did it. Yeah, yeah. I thought we looked, you know, much more comfortable in this game probably than we have in in any so far since the restart and that's partly down to the opposition maybe a little bit of it is to being at home but I also think there's a bit of confidence coming back into the team now you know it was such a difficult start mm. in terms of the, the two defeats and everything happening off the field as well and I, I've got to give credit to Mikel Arteta he has managed you know very swiftly to help steady that ship uh, and Arsenal now go into a really tricky run with at least a bit of positive momentum behind it. Yeah, and some points on the board. And when you look at what Europe might um, might take, you know, every point mm. every point is precious. So we're, I think we're and into seventh now, are we? We are. I mean, we're actually, we went above Tottenham with this victory, which nice. I enjoyed. And they've yeah. got to go to Sheffield United this evening. So come on the blades. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, look, we did it. We had to win. Nice to, nice to be back at home, even if I'm uh, sure it was a very strange experience for a lot of people watching at home who would normally be at the game. Um, I saw a picture that Amy uh, Lawrence posted of the concourse at halftime and it's just empty, uh, which is which is really, really strange. But, uh, you know, nice to get a home win under our belts. And we're now just, what, six points off the, off the uh, top four. So, no, eight points off top four. Um, eight points, but Chelsea lost, didn't they, against West Ham, which I mm. guess is to our... To our favour. I mean, listen, I'm not holding out a huge degree of hope on that, but certainly European football of some shape or form is 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 back on the table you'd have to say at this yeah stage. I mean the games against Wolves and Tottenham are obviously going to be absolutely massive and Leicester of course are going to be absolutely huge in that mm. regard I'm sure as well we can have a little word with Liverpool and just say look lads lads come on <laughs> you've, you've, you've won the league there's yeah. no need to exert yourselves nobody needs a hammy nobody needs a calf strain no one needs to pop their groin do a cruciate whatever it might be just take it easy and, you know, we'll keep the scoreline down, make it look vaguely respectable. You can just sort of say, look, we were on the beach, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think Jürgen would be, would be open to that kind of thing, wouldn't he? He seems a, yeah, a, an honourable man. still dancing, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am interested to see what sort of Liverpool turn up against Manchester City tonight. Given that they have won it now, they've, the celebrations have begun, it is difficult, isn't it, to kind of 
focus and and push on from that point so yeah maybe that game is not quite as daunting as it looked a few weeks ago yeah I mean what can Liverpool can Liverpool achieve anything else um, well, between now and the end of the season, hundred points. Won't yeah, they? because they've got what seven seven games left to play, uh, which is twenty one points, um, and they're currently on eighty six. So that could you know they could finish on one hundred and seven. What's the record? Um, record Premier League title points. I think City I put, did a hundred in twenty eighteen. Hundred and. No, that can't be right. Here we go. The five highest points totals in Premier League history. From uh, seven Premier League records, Liverpool can still break in their final seven games. So there is stuff for them to play for. Ah, uh, don't be. Don't worry about it, Liverpool. Seriously, nobody cares. They about can't have a gold trophy though, can they? So no, they can't. What's the point? What is the point? Forget about it. All right. Well, look, Arsenal four, Norwich nil. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. That was nice. Bakayo Saka. Signed Detting, James. He did. He did. I really enjoyed... I think it was Chris Harris uh, of Arsenal.com asking Bukayo about signing Detting yeah. uh, in his video interview. But that was a great thing. I, I mean, yeah, a goal there was last night for each of the years Bukayo Saka has extended his contract. It's great news. It's really great news. There's no two ways about it. I mean, it's fantastic. And... I was glad, actually, as well, on the subject of Saka, to see him get a, an overdue rest. You know, it would have been uh, nice to see him play. And I was sort of imagining, if there was a crowd there, could you imagine the ovation he would have got last night? You know, I think when he, he came on. Yeah, I think he might have been given a little run out as a sub. If if there had been yeah. a crowd there, I think Arteta would have given him five minutes or something at the end to get that kind of a, a reception, you know? But, yeah. you know, there was no need no need to risk him in the end. But yeah, I mean, just a massive relief, isn't it? And I suppose something I've been thinking about Artes for some time is, you know, where does he start with this Arsenal team? Who can he definitively look at and build around? And we are starting to get a couple of answers on that. And and Saka is absolutely key, isn't he, to this rebuild yeah. that's got to take place? Yeah, it would have been such a such a blow to the football club and the perception of the football club and, and what we were trying to do and what we were trying to achieve if we couldn't sign uh, Bakayo Saka to a new deal. And, I, I, you know, I saw some people yesterday saying, well, you know, uh, that's what we should do. We shouldn't really be celebrating the fact that we've kept an 18-year-old. And I kind of get it. You know, maybe it does say something. But at the end of the day, this is a precocious talent, a talent that nobody really quite expected to explode this season the way that he has. And it was vital, vital Mm. that we kept him. And we're keeping him. And we've got a four-year deal again I don't really have any issue with with that. People are saying, well, in two years' time, we've got to have a conversation. Yeah, okay, but that's two years down the line. We can just chill out for a couple of years regarding this particular topic. And, and in those two years, it's incumbent on us as a football club to sort of build a team and build around him and, and show him that his uh, footballing and professional ambitions can be uh, achieved at Arsenal. You know, we have to rebuild. We know that, but we've got to, we've got to sort of, we've really got to sort of create something, uh, create a place where players want to be. 
you know, where they're happy mm. to stay and where they're happy to say, I will put pen to paper here. And I think it's a smart enough move from the Saka side of things. Like if things aren't great in two years time, then, you know, they're in a position where moving on could be relatively easy. They're not waiting three years and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a good signing um, for him. It's a great signing for, for the football club. It's an amazing signing for the fans because we've all connected with this kid in a, in a big way, haven't we? And he, he sort of acknowledged that, uh, you know, in the video that he did for, for Arsenal.com, he was sort of saying, sorry, it took me so long to, for it to happen. It's like, he didn't have to do that. You know, he didn't have to say anything like that. Everyone understands that these things are complex and complicated and there are myriad reasons why it might not have happened. But to have the sort of character and awareness to acknowledge that and to, to, to understand what it means to fans at 18 years of age, I think, speaks so highly of him. Yeah, and I think without this signing, the credibility of the academy project you know of building around these young kids who have mm. been severely damaged and i think with it it feels like okay well maybe there is something here that we can build on and move forward with um so i i'm just really 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 happy to see that he's going to be at arsenal for the foreseeable future i think Mikel arteta is going to be absolutely delighted as well because it's clear what he thinks of him and Saka does just seem like a really good kid, and I don't mean that in any sort of patronising sense. But no, I think but he's eighteen, so you know exactly. <laughs> he's level. He's level-headed, and he's smart, and he's in touch with the fans. And I think I think that actually at eighteen, some players might think, well, "Do you know what? I can go and play for Man City, or I go and play for Bayern Munich." But he, I think, he sees that at Arsenal there is a great opportunity for him to continue to, to develop with a manager who believes in him and a team mm. that need him. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. The team needs him, for sure. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think it just... You know, winning football games changes people's moods. Things that create a, a good atmosphere around a club are are so, so welcome, you know? Um, yeah, and that's it. And, you know... What it might mean for the future of some other players, I think we'll discuss in part two. But just to sort of create that 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 sort of good mood around the place, uh, I, I can't say it's a statement of intent or anything like it, but it is a positive step for Mikel Arteta's project. There are a couple yeah. of others I'm sure that he wants to, to nail down as well, and, and we will discuss those in, in part two because I've got a couple of questions. But... You know, imagine Arteta talking about rebuilding, talking about how we need, you know, Arsenal uh, players who are willing to buy into his project, players who are, who, what did he say? You know, if they want to get on the boat or whatever it was the other day, and the brightest talent from our academy decides, no, my future isn't here. I want to go somewhere else. I mean, I think, you know, there was a, a strong will from the player himself despite the options that he had elsewhere. And make no mistake, there were certainly options uh, available to him. He wanted to stay. What did he say in the interview? It's Arsenal, isn't it? Why, why did you want to stay? And he went, well, it's Arsenal. You know, he's mm. been at the club since he was a kid. Um, we have convinced him and he he's happy to spend, you know, the next part of his future here. It means a lot, you know, for all kinds of reasons. And, and hopefully it's the first of, of a number of these. Yeah, and the club needed it. 
let's yeah, be clear yeah, yeah, about yeah. that. Like, I think, I think the people running the club needed it too, to be honest, to give them a bit of breathing space and to have a sort of positive news story out there. And I, I think, yeah, it's just one of those things that as a fan, we've all been waiting for it. And genuinely, I think... No one knows what the hell the transfer window is going to look like. Mm. Uh, and so I think maybe excitement about that side of things, which is normally sky high, is sort of tempered. But I do think Arsenal won't, whatever happens, Arsenal won't make a more important signing than this one. Yeah. All right. Well, look, um, that's good news. The win is good news. It was a very good, very positive day, an enjoyable day, you know, a day in which you can sort of enjoy um, pretty much everything that came out of Arsenal. And we haven't had too many of those in, in the recent past, so it was really nice. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed part one. We will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hey, y'all, it's Matt Marr here, a.k.a. Maddie, And Poodle, a.k.a. Jake Anthony. And we host the podcast 90 Day Gays. Poodle, I'm excited because Christmas is here. Aren't you excited? Bah humbug. What's so great about Christmas? I'm just going to get another boring, straight-looking sweater from my Aunt Jane. Well, Poodle Scrooge, you tell your Aunt Jane to get you Best Christmas Ever on AMC+. Plus. You will love it. Oh, wow. They got all my favorites. Elf, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, The Year Without a Santa Claus. And y'all, AMC Plus is available on all your devices. So celebrate the best Christmas ever anytime, anywhere. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. I remembered. And also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. And from our Patreon members, we will take the first questions, James. The rotisserie chicken says, in the light of rebuilding and Obama's inter- uh, Obamiang's interview after the game. Did I say Obama? You said Obama. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, he said, would you rather have Oba, not Obama, Obama, uh, sign a new deal or sell him for a good amount, whatever that is in the current market? Which of the options do you think would be better uh, in terms of the long term strategy? Whereas JP says, Oba. Oba, Oba, Obama Yang, that guy. New contract. He won't, will he? Will he? Won't he? <laughs> um, just let me read a couple of comments from yeah. Mikel Arteta before you answer this. Um, he said yesterday afterwards, he sounded some quite positive no- uh, noises. He said he's willing to stay with us. He's really happy where he is and can see what we're trying to do. He said... 
I'm positive that we can keep him here for many years, but things have to progress. So, I mean, that's that's pretty positive from Mikel Arteta. And Aubameyang's interview on BT Sport afterwards, you know, it was pretty standard. We'll see at the end of the season stuff from Aubameyang. But what else can he say in those circumstances? He's not going to show his hand live on TV if there are negotiations going on. But he did indicate that there have been some discussions. So it sounds a bit like those discussions have had a positive um, start anyway. And Arteta is kind of kicking it back upstairs because he said, you know, basically the executives, they need to make it happen. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I am... How can I put it? I don't even know if I'm cautiously optimistic. I I still... I didn't come away from last night. I've seen a lot of people this morning came away from it feeling like, oh, he's going to sign. I I didn't. I saw it as like, everyone's making the right noises, but what other noises are they going to make? And that's not based on information or something I know. I just... What I can't get over is... What I keep getting stuck on is why would Aubameyang stay if he can go to Barcelona, for example? Yeah. That's where I get stuck. And I'm like, he's got one more chance to make that move and play at the very top of the European game. That's, That's the thing. I mean, if that's his option, I think we're fucked. (laughs) Like, being brutally honest. History would suggest. That we are fucked. But, you know... If it's not his option. If it's not... Yeah, exactly. If it's not a club like Barcelona, and who? how many are there? I mean, there's Real Madrid, PSG is a fucking... PSG is a nothing club. An absolutely nothing club. You know, he might Mm -hmm. get a lot of money there, but it's not... It's not a prestigious place to be. You know? Um... I think he'd be looking, especially given that his mother's sort of Spanish extraction, and he—I he, mean, he'd, he, he'd love Real Madrid. That would be his yeah. real dream because he grew up a Real Madrid fan. But Barcelona are the one that you hear are going to be in the market mm. for a forward. You know, and in Spain, they're certainly talking that up as a possibility. I mean, are we on the back of a you know a sack of contract extension and a win over Norwich? Are we <laughs> getting ahead of ourselves? Are yeah. we getting ahead of ourselves? Are we saying, look, you could see what we could, you know, what he could buy into here and all that kind of stuff? You, you know, beat Norwich every week. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the same time, yeah, you know. Let's make no mistake about how important he could be to this process or how important he absolutely will be or would be to this process if he were to stay. Mm. Uh, and that's us as fans going, think of think of what a legend you could be. We would all have posters on our wall. Do you want to be a legend, Aubameyang, or do you just want to be another guy that came and went? And You know, mm. I would understand. Let me be clear. I would understand why he would leave if he had a great option and a great uh, club to go to and a chance of, you know, winning a league title, being competitive in the in the Champions League, etc., etc. I mean, I absolutely 100% understand that. Um, I do have some vague hope, though, that that being a kind of leader in this sure in this environment might be something that's slightly appealing to him you know he is held in such high regard such high esteem you know the young players love him the rest of the team everyone loves him you know uh it's about 
A, what we can offer him in terms of a contract and B, what we can do to convince him that, that this project isn't, you know, isn't something that's going to come to fruition in five years, that it can be competitive in a shorter time frame than that. That's true. For him, it needs to be yeah. two or three, probably. Maybe I less. Mean, if you were in talks with a Birmingham right now and you're your Huss Farmy, uh, yeah. how long a contract are you offering him? He's 31. Good question. Good question. That will be a factor for him too, I suspect. What he gets offered, where? Yeah, what's he going to get like from Barcelona? Would it be a three-year? Would it be a two-year plus one? You know, what is it going to be? Three, I guess. Yeah, so you've got to match whatever's being offered elsewhere. That's the bottom yeah. line because the security that that provides a footballer is a major consideration in terms of in terms of how they're going to view it. So if Barcelona are offering him a three-year contract, you can't offer him anything less than that. And do you think, given what we've experienced with Meza Ozil, do you think there's any risk with Aubameyang? He's 31. Do you think there's any... Of course. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, I have to be honest. I don't see any decline. Nor do I. But it could be around the corner. Could be. Uh, that is that is the gamble. That is the the, yeah. the the thing that Arsenal, in fairness, would have the best information on in terms of whether that risk is worth taking or not. They have all the physical test results. They they can measure every aspect of his his output, his physical performance. The goal scoring is not slowing down. He no, doesn't look he, like he's slowing down. Physically, he's he plays every fucking game. Like, he's a machine right now. Yeah, and that might change yeah. in two years' time, but how much can you get out of him in those two years, you know? Um, yeah, someone on the coaching staff, I think, referred to him recently as a, a Rolls-Royce, and he is, like, an incredibly engineered athlete. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a, a big chat because obviously we're looking at it from Aubameyang's point of view, but there is also the club's point of view. And what do you think about that? Do you think that Arsenal should take the plunge and give another three years of contract, say, to a guy who's going to be probably comfortably the second highest earner um, and you're never going to sell? Um. It is, yeah, look, I, I, I see it. I just feel like, what are we getting, you know, unless we've got our eye on, a, on an, an exceptional talent um, in terms of a forward, it's just so hard to see where we're going to get the goals from if he goes. Because they're not going to come from Lacazette. Lacazette should be out the door this summer, as far as I'm mm. concerned. I think we should sell him. I think we should cash in on him. I, I think that even if... And I've, I'm sort of loath to sort of go back on wh- what I'd said previously, but more and more I'm starting to come around to the idea that even if Aubameyang doesn't sign a new deal, the goals that he might score for us next season could be valuable enough for us to write off whatever fee we get for him because there are other players in the squad who we could sell to to help finance a rebuild. And Lacazette is is definitely one of them, whether that's a swap or a, a sale or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I just think if we're talking about decline and not seeing it in, in Aubameyang, it, it's quite clear in Lacazette, in terms of his output, his productivity, and what he brings to the team. Uh, Matteo Genduzzi, 
you know, it's going to be something that some people don't like. They don't want to sell him. They see him as, you know, the kind of talent that we should harness. The discussion you know, around him is based on little or no information, but I thought Arteta's comments about, you know, what what does Genduzi need to do to get back into the team? He said something's got to change and nothing has changed. So it speaks to a sort of intransigence on Genduzi's part to address whatever this disciplinary issue that he has had. Mm. If that's the case, if the relationship, you know, with Arteta uh, and Genduzi is this bad after six or seven months, Where's it going to be in a year's time or two years' time, you know? Um, And and now is the time to sell him. So uh, it's a a very difficult one. I appreciate it's a very difficult one. I just feel like what we've got right now is an assured, proven goal scorer who, who, regardless of system, regardless of where he plays, is going to score you 25 to 30 goals every season. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely difficult to replace. And maybe part of the rebuild project is is Aubameyang's goals next season, even if he's in, even if he isn't going to sign, laying the foundations for what comes next. Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a bridge, isn't it, to get you to the next stage of the of the kind of rebuild, twenty five to thirty goals. I think to replace that you might have to spend 70 million quid on a striker who's going to score you 25 to 30 goals out the bottle. Do you know what I mean? Straight away. That's a lot of money. You have to get very lucky if if you're buying a player cheaper than that to do that. Yeah, you're going to have to buy like a... uh, You're going to have to buy a 22, 23-year-old who's who's sort of ready to kick on. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah, I mean, there's I can, a guy at Lille, uh, uh, Aussie man, who's like... Uh, Aussie, Aussie man, sorry, who's really well thought of, you know, a uh, young Nigerian striker. They're talking about Napoli paying 70 million euros for him, and he's 21. So that is the trouble for Arsenal. Whatever they get for Aubameyang, they're going to have to spend more than that to replace him, mm. I think. I mean, look, we all, we've all changed our minds on this, I would suspect, in the last 12 months several times because part of you can't help but go, Arsenal desperately need money. Mm. If there's an opportunity, they've lost too many players for free. You know, what happened with Ramsey can't be allowed to be repeated. Mm. I, I think where I'm at with it right now is I think a lot of it depends on how highly... Arteta thinks of Nketiah and Martinelli. Mm. Because if you really believe that those two guys can be great and they need to be given time to develop and see what their level is, then having Aubameyang for the next three years as a bridge who's going to get older in that, who's going to age in that period, who's going to support them and maybe have to be involved slightly less towards the end of that period. Mm. In theory, that his goals buy you the time to develop them, to develop yeah. those two. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what Arteta is thinking because we know how much he likes those players mm. too. And how much he wants to keep Aubameyang. So interesting. I do want to sign yeah, that yeah. guy. I do want to uh, sign that guy, Ozymen, now. Mm-mm. My name is Ozymen, King of Kings. <laughs> Look on yeah. my works, ye mighty. Look on my goals, ye mighty and despair. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, and the last time we went to Lille, we struck a nice cheap deal with them, so I could see that panning out well again. Certainly but did. I think, um, Just get Uncle George on the phone, he'll sort it out for us. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, and I think that the... 
you know, I think that I agree with you. Right now, you want to keep Aubameyang mm. and you don't want to keep Lacazette. Mm. And actually, with Nketiah kind of making that centre-forward spot his own and knowing how good Martinelli has been in that centre-forward spot when he's needed to be, yeah. having Aubameyang as an option there if needed, because that means, you know... Don't forget, we've got Bukayo Saka, who might want to be playing games left wing, or, you know, we don't know how the team will set up. Martinelli might want games left wing. I think Aubameyang, Martinelli and Ketia is quite a strong selection of strikers with different qualities and with two who are really promising and one guy who's a bit older and kind of can sort of shepherd them through this development. Potentially, yeah. And there are some other young forwards at the club as well who could play backup if, if needs be. Uh, there's some promising young players uh, coming through too. So, uh, yeah, okay. Well, look, let's see what happens. Let's see what Don't happens. Don't forget we've got to fit Willian into this as well. So, Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, anyway, let's have another question. You get yourself in trouble. Stop. Um, Okay, what about this one? Sam Whittingham. Why have we supposedly let Mkhitaryan go for free when we rejected £10 in January? I'm all for getting wages off the books, but this basically sums up our transfer market lunacy. Hmm. Mickey. Uh, Shame to hear the end of that, to be honest. It really is. Mickey. Um, Why, I presume that... Look, the 10 million was on offer in January. We turned it down because we felt that was too low in a pre-COVID world. In a post-COVID world, what is anybody offering you for a player who is on £200,000 a week, um, you know, and who's got an agent who is going to make sure that that, uh, any deal that involves his client is going to, you know, more or less keep his wages at that level? Mm. It's not great on the surface. It's not great on, you know, it doesn't look great when you're basically, I mean, the, 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 the story is that he's extended his loan till the end of this season. And then it gets quite complicated in that people are reporting that on August 31st, he will terminate his contract with Arsenal. Mm. His agent will pay us a penalty fee, believed to be around £1 million, something like that. I'm sure Roma will give it to him. Uh, Yeah. And then he signs on a permanent basis on a free transfer for Roma. So why would they do that? Why would they not just wait? Because presumably his deal runs out same time as Aubameyang, end of next season anyway. I think there was, I read something about a loyalty bonus that Arsenal might have to pay if he goes into the final year of his contract. Right. Um... Look, I think the first consideration is the removal of £200,000 per week off the wage bill. Absolutely. I think that's what, I- that's what Arsenal wanted to do. They made it clear last September, didn't they, that, that, that Mkhitaryan was not a player um, that they wanted to keep because of the way that the deal went down. It's, you know, the guts of £10.5 million a year off the wage bill. Um, when you consider that there are some other people earning a lot of money and, and not doing much to earn that money, uh, you know, these are considerations that, that, that Arsenal have. Um, so I, I really just think it's about getting his wages off the, off the bill. Um, he's not a player we want. Yeah. Um, it's not ideal not to get a fee, but the bottom line is he's up on the wage bill and 
you know, we, we have more money to to distribute elsewhere, you know, to people like Bukayo Saka, for example, and potentially Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, if we're offering him new terms. Yeah, I mean, look, we didn't pay a fee for him, I guess, is one consolation. Mm. Uh, what mm. an extraordinary transfer that was, uh, the Alexis Mkhitaryan swap. I mean, I know Alexis sprung back into life for Inter Milan last night, scored a couple of goals. Yeah. But for Manchester United and Arsenal, absolutely disastrous, wasn't it, on all fronts? It's been brilliant um, for Alexis Sanchez and his people financially. It's been brilliant for Henrik Mkhitaryan and his people financially. But from a footballing point of view, it has to go down as the most expensive and worst swap deal of all time. I mean, there have been swap deals which haven't worked, of course, but none at the level where one guy is getting 200 grand a week at one club and the other guy's going in. And what was Alexis getting? 400 grand, maybe a bit more from Manchester United. An extraordinarily expensive waste of money for, for both clubs. Um, and look, I don't really have any personal uh, animus towards Henrik Mkhitaryan, but I will not miss him as a player one bit. No, nor I. Um, it really makes that Baptista Reyes swap look like a, a move of transfer genius, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, and that, um, that'll tell you plenty. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I, uh, I'm just delighted to see him off the wage bill. I think, you know, obviously the COVID situation has played into the mm. not getting a fee, but... I think Arsenal internally will be really pleased to have have moved him on and, and got him off the wage bill. And I I don't think he'll be the last player that Arsenal are looking at in this transfer window, scratching their heads, thinking, is there a way? Is there a way we can make this work uh, to get them off too? But I'm glad to see Mkhitaryan off. It's a big chunk and one that we can definitely reallocate more sensibly. Yeah. Okay. Here is... A question from Pat, who's at Patty Hughes 77 He said, what do you think of Saka's comments about Louise? Seems uh, his is a positive influence in the dressing room, especially with the young guys. And in the interview, uh, Saka was asked about, you know, have the players helped him and have they, um, you know, um, helped him settle in and develop as a first-team footballer? And he said he didn't really want to single anyone out, but he did talk about Louise and say what a, what a good guy he is and what, what advice he's given him in the dressing room. Do you think that plays into part of why Mikel Arteta seemed so keen to keep him. Yeah, I mean, the cynic in me would point out that quite a few young players, I think Joe Willock as well, <clears throat> in the last seven days since the contract extension was signed, have, have spoken up about David Luiz. <laughs> David um, Luiz is the, he's like our, our trendy uncle. The guy who like yeah. brings you out, you're 16, and he gives you a beer, that kind of guy. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? So they send him in the shop to buy cigarettes. Yeah, he'll go and um, get cans, you know, get five cans of Linden Village there. He'll go in and buy them for you. Yeah, I, I, well, listen, I mean, I think he... Look, everyone at the club likes David Luiz. There's no doubt about that. And that's never, ever been, I don't think, the debate about him. He is obviously a nice man. Uh, and as far as Saka goes, I'm sure he's great. Put an arm around the shoulder, you know. They Saka's mentioned him before this and talked about him being a big influence for him. I think they're both uh, relatively religious guys. They've got that in common. They have some common ground. I'm sure. I'm sure he's great around the training ground. Uh, that's not the discussion. But I do find it interesting that 
he has come back into the team quite swiftly, hasn't he, Louise? Um, I know there are reasons, and I know people have been injured or made mistakes, but someone actually asked a question about that. I can't remember who it was now. Sort of saying, um, are we surprised, you know, how swiftly he's sort of seemingly back in favour with Arteta after the mm, Man, Man City, City thing? I mean, do you have any opinion on that? No, I'm not surprised because the quality of our central defenders overall isn't that great. You know, yeah. it, it's a problem. Um, and we had a question here from uh, Ben Constable who says, Hi guys, I saw people online complaining about playing five at the back against the bottom team and likening it to Emery, but that was probably our best performance since the restart. Is this a form, uh, formation you'd like to see Arteta persist with? Um, and, mm. ooh, what's that noise? It's my it's uh, my wife using a kettle. She ah, basically, okay. that's okay. She likes hot drinks. Hot drinks, that's fine. Yeah. Um, I think we have to be realistic about what we're going to get from these defenders in a three versus a two, mm. and I think that is what's playing into this. Like, I would like to see, for example, I would like to see holding in that back three ahead of Kalasinac. Because I mm. don't think Kalasinac on the ball gives you enough in that formation. I, you know, he Why was, do you think he's in there, Kalasinac? Why? What do you think that's about? I mean, I think it's presumably because he's a lefty and Arteta likes that. Maybe so. Maybe so. I, I feel like holding's passing is is uh, sharper and crisper, a bit more adventurous than mm. Kalasinac. Like Kalasinac on the ball last night was was very tidied, over 90% pass completion, but 60-odd percent of those passes went backwards. And I think when you've got uh, a system in which you're trying to get the ball to your wide players, to Tierney and to Bellerin, and Tierney in particular, the, the more quickly we get him the ball, the better. And Kalasinac mm. is just a little bit safe he's a little bit conservative you know he's he's a bit clumsy I think he's probably more suited to the wing back position than the third centre half um, but I would have concerns you know over any duo that we're going to put out there um, so I, I think the back three is is part of it Louis, David Luiz in a back three was really very good for Chelsea wasn't he um, mm-hmm. you know that's where he's played his best football uh, throughout his career. So I'm not that surprised. Arteta doesn't seem to rate Socrates at all, does he? No. No. So uh, and I imagine that I don't I don't know, but I imagine that his ability on the ball is is part of that. Um What about the what about the sort of wider issue though of of young players and building a squad? And Arteta's talked a lot, hasn't he, about needing to have the right experience around these guys so they can develop, et cetera, et cetera. We think about that in terms of what happens on the pitch in matches. Mm. Do you think what happens on the training ground and what he can bring in terms of the experience that he has is is also part of it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean... Clearly, you need players who are going to sort of, you know, put their arm around somebody, give them advice, can be a different type of leader. Mm. And Arteta really clearly believes that Luis can do that. Um, and when Luis is good, he's very good. You know, that is the trouble with him. He'll have a game like he did yesterday or even to an extent the previous match where he looks 
pretty comfortable, pretty competent, and at some point he'll make a high-profile error. And it's the bullet you have to bite if you're going to have him in your team. Um, but I, I think that Arteta's already made how he feels about him quite clear. Mm. As far as the back three goes, I do think we might see more of it than we necessarily I- imagine, just because... You know, with Saliba coming in next season, he's played a lot of football as the kind of right-sided centre-half in a three. He's played in the centre of a three as well. So you can imagine him kind of stepping into that Mustafi role. Once Pablo Marie is fit, potentially he gives you a really good left-sided option. With Louise in the middle, you've got three players there who can all pass the ball, who can all distribute. Uh, the sort of defensive burden is slightly spread between them. It allows you to play with wing-backs, which lets you get Pepe and Aubameyang on the wings if they're still here, in the case, closer to the centre forward, closer mm. to goal. There is a lot about this formation that makes sense for Arsenal. Um, and that's not to say there's not another way of doing it, but it is worth pointing out that even when we were playing with a back four, it wasn't really much of a back four. You know, yeah, it was yeah. kind of... Saka was pushed high. Shaka was almost in, almost as a third centre-half anyway at times. Yeah. So... You know, I don't think we should get too hung up about the the numb, the, what we call it, but I do think this shape could have a real relevance next season as well. Okay, your question. My question. Uh, bu- 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 bu. Well, I mentioned him there actually. Um, Joe B, who's at Capt Joseph on Twitter, says the Saliba situation. Mm. Discuss who do you think is right slash wrong, and how should we approach it to keep Saliba happy? Well, I think the ship may have sailed in terms of what we can do about it now. But but what do you make of it all? Um, I just saw a story there um, that there might be further discussions about what's going to happen. Ah, okay. I found the whole thing quite odd for a start. Yes, it's quite hard to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah, like, this is a situation, again, it's one of those that we've left right to the death. And maybe the the negotiations were protracted and complicated. Um, I suppose the idea that, that Arsenal should pay the entirety of that fee, that clause, that, you know, if he played 17 games or a certain percentage of the games... Um, uh, Saint Etienne were due a fee, a sizable fee, sizable two point five million. Now, in fairness, yeah. a fee, a, a fee that we agreed to pay, and a fee that we put in there to incentivize his use. You know, because we wanted him to play and we wanted to, him to develop. But the terms of that original contract are are gone now. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, what I would say is that. Um, as strange as it seems to pay a fee to a club who are effectively loaning a player from you, I think it's more makes more sense when you think about it almost as part of the transfer fee for Saliba. Yeah. You know, this idea that if he plays a number of games next season, we will pay more for him because he will have accumulated more experience yeah, and yeah, thus yeah. be further along his development. Yeah, so Saint-Étienne released this statement saying that there were unacceptable sporting and financial demands from Arsenal. Arsenal hit back to say, well, look, he's injured. We wanted the Saint-Étienne medical team to work with our medical team to ensure you know that he's fully fit etc etc I couldn't get my head around why that would be an issue for Saint-Étienne like I, I don't understand on any level how they might have a problem with Arsenal protecting the interests of their uh, of the player no you know? and I think Arsenal wanted him to come back here uh, at some point or uh, yeah and I don't really see how that would be a massive disruption to their plans I mean mm. it's not like they don't know the player I think this was about the money wasn't it 
that's that's what I would infer from the outside. Yeah, but I mean, I can, you know, why would they also be looking for all the money? I, I know times are tough and every club needs every penny it can get together, but there's got to be some measure of compromise on in terms of in terms of what you can expect in this market. Um, you know, it's it's being reported by Lakeep. Uh, this morning that we could still sanction the loan, that negotiations could still be going on. Uh, I, I wonder if the thing playing out publicly between the two clubs was the the, the greatest thing of all time. Um, you know, it seems a bit unseemly to have that kind of a, a spat go on in public. The thing that I I not worry about, um, the thing that that's a real shame, is that he is not going to be able to play in a final. You know, this is the club that he grew up at. This is uh, a big, big occasion for them. Maybe they don't have much of a chance in the final against PSG. They're certainly the underdogs. But as you said the other day, you know, cup football can throw up all kinds of surprises. And I think from the players' point of view, I you know, how great would it be to come to Arsenal, you know, with his final game being a cup final for for his team, his former team, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. You know, if there was a danger of him feeling that Arsenal have denied him a chance to play in that game, whatever else is going on, I think we have to be mindful of that. I think we have to be conscious of how the player himself is going to feel. Mikel Arteta was very clear and said he he's earned the right to play in this game. You know, mm. uh, he was he wants him to play in the game uh, because I think he, as somebody who was a player, will understand what it would feel like to miss a cup final because, you know, whatever the, the rationale, whatever the explanation, if you're a player and you're not being allowed to play in a cup final because of whatever reason you're going to remember that and not necessarily the nuts and bolts of what seems like a you know protracted loan loan deal lack of agreement between two football clubs mm. when is the final actually due to be june you know? 24th uh, matt spiro on twitter says the crux of the conflict is not financial Reaching agreement over the bonus shouldn't be too hard. But Saint-Étienne refusing to accept Arsenal's insistence on Saliba making two round trips to London for medical tests, spending 10 days away, including in the week leading up to the final. So, I mean, that is, that is quite demanding. It I is guess, very demanding, it seems. Like, particularly in the week leading up to a final where you're, you're going to be working on your, your game plan, your tactics. You want the team training together. You want to, you know, create the, the, the atmosphere going into, uh, going into a game against nefarious PSG. You know, it's, it's us against them. You know, the, the, the minnows against the big boys. That seems... You know, if that's what is happening here, that seems a little too demanding. You know, I, I, I get Arsenal wanting to protect their own interests, but if we're willing to let him play in the game, we also have to be willing to let him be part of the, the build-up and the preparation in the right way. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because until June 30th, Arsenal were pretty respectful when it came to Saliba. You know, they wouldn't, if you tried to talk about him internally, they'd be like, well, he's an an SCM player until June 30th. And they were always very respectful of the loan arrangement. I, I, 
I actually think, look, if there's... Given how important he is to our plans and how big a role he potentially has to play next season, I can understand Arsenal being concerned about him going out there and playing if there is a fitness problem there. I mean, what if he picks up an injury, mm-hmm. you know... Sure, sure. ..that puts him it. out for months and months and they've spent 30 million quid on this player? I guess it um, depends what the injury is. I mean, do we know... I mean, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's a minor thing if they're being that... Um, exercised by by the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, he's had good groin problems this season and he, I think he had a little surgery at Christmas. Um, so that might be part of it. I, I, I would like Saliba to play in the final for his own sake. Yeah, I'm me sure too. he would too. But I also can see Arsenal's perspective that they have to protect our interests first and if he, if it means that he's more fit and more available for the start of the season he is ultimately an Arsenal player at this point yeah um, but yeah I, it's disappointing that St Etienne felt the need to take it public definitely and I do wonder if that was their attempt to kind of force Arsenal's uh, collaboration mm. you know? yeah I mean bottom line for me is you know what what's the player's state of mind going to be if he's not allowed play in this game you know uh, yeah, and, and and we don't know to be fair, but we can have a guess. I mean, Arteta and him have spoken a few times already, apparently. But um, Arteta wants him to play it, you know. So it's 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 a really odd one, and mm. it's, a, it's a it's one that's come up because of the COVID thing, right? If this clause had been triggered, the financial element of it had been triggered in March, no one would have batted an eyelid, mm. you know. We had a question here in the Discord from AB underscore Gunner who says, do either of you know uh, know anything about Tim Lewis, the new non-executive board member, and if his appointment gives us any clues about the future of Arsenal? And Burgundy David, who is at truck underscore puncher. Truck puncher. There's a superhero that we've all missed. Truck puncher. Uh, what kind of significance do you think a corporate lawyer joining the board as a non-executive director has? Non-executive directors are not involved with day-to-day management, but used as advisors for their expertise and knowledge in the field. It does sound like something we need. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, the chairman retired not long ago and you looked at that board and it had four people on it. Two of them were Stan and Josh. The other two, with respect, were, you know, I think into their 80s. And you thought that could do with some freshening up, that could do with some new voices at the table. Um, I think it's interesting. He's a KSE guy, really, Tim Lewis. He's Mm. close to the Cronkies. He was involved, I believe, in kind of advising KSE on the acquisition of Arsenal yes uh, way back when and I think that to an extent it gives them someone mm, I'm not going to say on the ground but it gives them someone on the inside it gives them another point of contact within the club and it gives maybe hopefully a little bit of oversight too and I don't think that or any kind of accountability to the ownership is a bad thing I really don't have anything to add to that. I think you've summed it up perfectly. If he is a KSE man, then, like you say, he's a, he's a point of contact. He's separate from the Football Executive Committee. If there's oversight, as I've said on this podcast a few times before, I don't think that would be any bad thing, you know, to, to have somebody in there who, even if he's not necessarily in a position of authority, is somebody who can look at what's going on you know he's he's a he's a lawyer so um he'll understand uh, a lot of what's happening in terms of contracts in terms of what we're doing and how we're trying to do it and if his job is to basically be KSE's guy um separate from uh the executive committee I don't think that's a bad thing 
Mm. No, fully agreed. Mm. Uh, any other questions? Let's have a little look here. Uh, bah, 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 lots of stuff. About I have one here, just a quick one. We'll try and whack through a yeah. couple. Um, Christopher's Myth, who's at Outdoor, Outdoorsy Chris. Um, he says, Hector looked a bit peeved when he was subbed. Uh, so serious. Is he worried about Cedric? I didn't notice that. Did you notice it? It did occur to me when he was taken off, he didn't look that happy to be taken off. But, I mean, it might just be he felt like he was having a, a, a reasonable game and wanted to stay on. Um, I, you know, he wasn't throwing his shirt around or anything, but he did just look a little bit, you know, if not necessarily disgruntled, he didn't look particularly gruntled. Mm, mm, interesting. I mean, uh, he might be a bit worried about Cedric because Arteta's been incredibly positive about him, hasn't he? Mm. Um, I found it interesting that Maitland-Niles, having played well against Sheffield United, sort of wasn't didn't get out there at all during mm. the game. Uh, maybe that tells you a little bit about sort of his situation still. Uh, as for Cedric, I mean, the way that Arteta has spoken about him... It sounds to me a little bit like he's trying to light a bit of a fire under Bellerin. And maybe there's degrees to which Bellerin has been the undisputed number one right back at Arsenal for quite a long time now. I mean, Mm -hmm. in fact, pretty much since he came into the team ahead of Debussy. Debussy was out injured for a long time. Then when he came back, he didn't look quite right at all. Uh, Although he has actually resurrected his career a bit with St Etienne. I saw with PSG the other day. Um, Then Licksteiner, who was very much at the end of his career and not uh, not great either. And then I think for a period after that, he was basically the only guy. I forgot Licksteiner. (laughs) I know, I know. Um, Yeah, whenever we think about how excellent Spermislantat might have been, we always have to remember Licksteiner. But I also think... um, yeah, I think Bellerin's been so undisputed as number one that there might be a, a sense in which Arteta is just trying to show him, look, there is a bit of competition here. What have you got? And maybe Bellerin is a bit worried about it. And if he is, I don't think that's a bad thing. Again, I've got nothing really I can say to that. I think it's, uh, it is part of uh, making sure that, that, uh, that Bellerin has competition. He needs competition. We need uh, a competitive environment at right back. Uh, you know, we can talk about Hector's injuries and I think it's a, a valid conversation. Um, but I also think we could, should, need to expect a little bit more from him on the pitch Mm. and I was happy to see a little bit of that last night Um, Mm. and if there's a competition with Cedric um, and it brings out the best of one or both of them then the only beneficiary there is Arsenal Um, and that's the main thing Absolutely Um, Here's a question Jason Green on Twitter Would you give the captain's armband back to Shaka? Seems to be the only natural leader in the squad and clearly pivotal to the system He's shown character to turn things around since Palace at home Yeah, let's take let's just take the captain's armband from Aubameyang (laughs) He deserves that Yeah Um, Would I give it back to him? No, but like uh, uh, in the same sort of vein I have a question here from 
uh, Jenny Heinonen, uh, who's at Hippie200 on Twitter, who says, has your opinion on Shaka changed since the incident again against Palace this week, uh, this season? He says, I think he's shown great maturity in the way he's come back. The look on his face after scoring the goal speaks volumes. And uh, there was a little reply to that from Rian Vacha, uh, who said, also his face when Aubameyang went over to give him the armband as he was taken off. Yes. Well, I mean, especially with no fans in the stadium, the irony of that <laughs> was yeah. not lost on me. Um, but listen, I've been so impressed by Granit Xhaka and the way that he has responded to what happened. I mean, he was on the brink of the exit, you know, looking at going back to Germany in January and Arsenal were already looking at replacements for him. And the way in which he has turned it round, improved his performances, I would say, substantially, and clearly impressed the new manager, made himself a pretty important part of his plans. Uh, I have to take my hat off to him, really. I mean, that takes real reserves of character and, uh, to use an arson phrase, mental strength, I think, resolve. Mm. Um, And I don't think many people doubted that he had that toughness that stickability to him his, his issue has never been application his issue has been decision making and things like that but yeah. he is a player who in the right system can be very effective I think that's key I think yeah. that's key that that what we've seen under Mikel Arteta is a manager who recognises that Shaka is a player who has flaws in his game and isn't playing in a way which exposes those flaws time and time and time again, which isn't to say that Jack is going to be perfect. We saw against um, Sheffield United, there was a little yeah. kind of Shaq attack in in, yeah. in in midfield towards the end of the game, and ultimately that led to their goal. He wasn't the only one culpable by any means, but just one of those moments which ended up um, putting us under pressure, and ultimately they scored a goal. But I think for the most part, Arteta has has played in a way which gets the best out of Shaq. And I, you know, the things that he does that are good are really good. He passes the ball well. He passes it. You know, he passes the ball hard. He's one of the only players in this team who fucking hits the ball when he passes it. We've too many soft rollers. Um, you know, when, when it comes to passing, you know, fucking smash it when it comes to passing. These are professional footballers. They should be able to c- control it. Uh, so, you know, I, I like um, what he's done since he's come back into the team under Arteta. I don't want to go over it over and over again. You know, what happened against Crystal Palace, it's not to condone his behaviour, but I think ultimately that was a moment in which a straw broke a very fucking annoying camel's back because of what had happened with the captaincy, Emery's dithering over that and and it creating this sort of toxicity that that ultimately Mm -hmm. erupted that day against Crystal Palace. So... It's where we were as a club, you know. I think yeah. it says more about that than any individual. Or, uh, Yeah, it was unfortunate, but it was a culmination of a lot of different things. Yes, it really was. Um, so, yeah. He- and this, this system, I think, is really good for Shaka, by the way. You know, on the discussion of three at the back, it is reminiscent of the way Arsene Wenger's Arsenal played in towards the end of the 2017 season, uh, when he was alongside Ramsey. And that was a great system for him as the sort of central centrifugal point with the spokes of the wheel around him and and I do think 
it, it suits him mm. and he he was good again um, I don't think we're in a hurry to take the armband off him but it doesn't matter really who wears the armband it's clear that Arteta views Shaka as one of the leaders in this squad for sure well he is he's one of the senior players he's an experienced international he's you know he's well respected within the dressing room um, so it's natural for him to kind of assume that responsibility so um, I, I don't have a problem with that I had a question here from Facebook from Matthew Tweddle or Matthew Tweddell who says do you think Emil Smith-Rowe has a place in the squad next season and if so in what role Interesting question. I mean, well, if Arsenal don't play with a conventional number 10, if they were playing like they were when Arteta first came in with Meza Ozil in that role off the striker, I'd look at that and say, well, that could be a Smith-Rowe position, potentially. Um, I think as a kind of number eight, maybe, you know, kind of where Danny Sabayas is playing, he, he could get a chance. But I know he's well thought of. I'm not expecting him to walk into the team next season or anything like it. I just think that there's... There's a big step up physically from the Championship to the Premier League even, and uh, and I'm intrigued to see how he copes with it. But clearly, mm. he's a player of talent and someone I think Mikhail Teta probably think quite highly of. He seems stylistically to suit a lot of what he's trying to do. What do yeah. you think? I don't know exactly. I mean, he's doing very well at Huddersfield. Um, mm. He's still, still quite young, so maybe there's a case to be made that... You know, you could give him another loan, give him another year somewhere where he can really, really develop um, with with regular football. Like if we're not, let's say we're not in the Europa League next season, how much football are some of the the young fringe players going to play? You know, so mm-hmm. it might depend on that. Might depend on that, and then of course, you know, he's going to have Willian to deal with as well. So, of course, uh, there is Willian to consider in all yeah. this. Um, but look, let's see what he does between now and the end of the season at Huddersfield. I've seen their fans talking on Twitter about how impressed they are with him and, and everything else. So, um, so well, that bodes well, yeah, for sure. Um, let's have one more from Facebook, uh, Michael Van Nijenhuis. Sorry, of course, sorry. Uh, he says Memphis for Laka is being rumoured. In terms of swap deals, do you think that represents good value for us? <sighs> Have you seen Memphis's rapping? No. Right. No. Do I? Do I, I mean? Do I need to? <laughs> Should I? Mm, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about it. It makes me slightly uneasy. But listen, he's a good. He can play. He can definitely play. Uh, he really fancies himself. He's not a character who I've thought. Oh, I love him. But you know, uh, mm. I'll be open-minded. I, 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 Lacazette. I think a swap deal is our best bet, isn't it? I can't see us getting the money that's going to be particularly useful to us. Do Atletico Madrid still want him? I mean, think? they've got lots of strikers now. They've got Morata, haven't they? And they've got uh, Diego Costa, <clears throat> and they've got that Portuguese kid. Oh, Joe Felix. Felix! Yeah, Jesus! Yeah, well, that I rules mean, that out. They don't desperately need Lacazette. No, no. Um, I don't think Memphis is a player I would particularly be keen on, to be honest. And that's before I discovered the rapping. No, he, he's all right. I mean, listen, he's no Quincy Owusu Bay lyrically. Let's put it like that. Right. Okay. But um, I mean, what's his? Uh, is, yeah, but what's his output? I mean, it's not. 
It's not brilliant, is it? He's about nine goals this season. Is that right? I don't know. I'm going to have to have a look. Uh, nine in... He's been playing centre-forward a lot for them. That's interesting. Didn't realise that. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, look. He's a good player. He's a good player. He's 26 as well, which is a decent age. It's funny, isn't it, how in football you just quantify ages. That's a good age. It's a good That's age. That's a bad age. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, Even where's the, bad the, where's the happy age. middle ground? It's 26. Is that, is that a good age? Great age? I must confess, on Memphis, I've not seen enough of him at, at, at Leon to have a formed opinion. I've genuinely only really watched his social media. And I enjoy footballers going off-piste and doing things like trying to become a rapper, so I'm not going to judge him. But... Uh, yeah, I can't really comment on if he'd be a good signing. I, I kind of feel like we've got... If he's going to play through the middle, then maybe. But I think out wide, we're quite well stocked. Yeah. Like, we've got Pepe, we've got Nelson, we've got Saka, we've got Aubameyang, who I think Arteta does see there. We've got Martinelli, who potentially he sees there as well. Mm. Even Smith-Rowe is a consideration. Don't forget William. Uh, don't forget William. Do we need to sign anyone else if we get Willian? <laughs> if we don't sign anyone else, imagine how much money we can give Willian. Amazing. Looking forward to it. All that sweet Mkhitaryan money funneled straight into Willian's pocket. And again, on this, by the way, Willian's quite a good player. I don't have any beef with Willian. I just, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. be slightly amused if yeah, we yeah, sign yeah. It's just, we're just, We're just joking. We're Mo- just mostly. joking with you, Keir. Mostly. Yeah. Uh, right, very, very final one from Monty Mark, who's uh, Ma- Mark Morrow, who's at Monty Mark. He said, Sabias has had two eye-catching performances, both versus lower-level opposition. There's definitely a player there, though. Given the choice, would you want to keep him to see if Arteta could coax his A-game out more regularly? I will swap him for Lacazette. <laughs> All we need to do is convince Real Madrid they need Lacazette. Hmm. Um, Seriously though, I mean, would you like? I, 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 I wouldn't buy him. Could we have another loan? I wouldn't buy him. Sound a bit like that bit from uh, um, League of Gentlemen. <laughs> we didn't <laughs> burn him. <laughs> we didn't buy Daddy Sabios. <laughs> um, yeah, I. Yeah, could he? Could he have another loan? I mean, he's not going to play for Madrid, is he? No, Zidane doesn't like him at all. He's not good enough. But he's good enough for us. <laughs> We're not that good. Well, I mean, um, do you think the Genduzi situation could in some way influence a decision there? Yeah, I think it could. I don't think Genduzi's going to be around. That's my current opinion. Uh, permission to change it. But I mm. think, you know, this is a bit different to what happened after Dubai, where he was out for one game and he's, he's not being rehabilitated in the squad he's not being brought back in something Mm. needs to change and it hasn't in Arteta's words and I do wonder if I do wonder if Arteta's looking at it and going right if I want to sort of get anyone in here some people have to leave and I don't want it to be Aubameyang Mm. so who's it going to be and I think Ganduzi, whatever you think of him as a kind of saleable or swappable asset is high on that list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to an extent, it's like, if Arteta's mind's made up on that, mm. do you know what I mean? Then then this isn't going to change. Yeah. And the season's over in like, I don't know, a fortnight or something mental. You know what I mean? A few weeks. It's a month, isn't it? But it's not a vast amount of time to turn it around. 
Mm. I I think what we're seeing with Ceballos is a player who is willing to work hard and is willing to do what the manager tells him. And when he as does... As long as he can hear. As long as he as can, long hear, as he can him, hear him, yeah. So as long as fans are out of the stadium, he's going to be great. But, uh, you know, if, if it was a case we could loan him again for another year... Um, I'd be sort of cautiously positive about that. Um, or try Madrid's hand. Like everyone's, we're all assuming it costs 40 million quid, but that's in a pre COVID world. You know, if you go to Madrid and you say, you know, this player who you hate, Zidane, yeah. can we have him for half that? You never know. Apparently, the loan deal that we did, it was done completely between the two clubs without any agent or intermediary. Right. Which is very unusual, isn't it? Because even loan deals have agents and and what have you involved, and this didn't. So perhaps it might be a relatively simple way of of maintaining some squad depth ahead of next season. Yeah, I mean, look, if if there's not a buyer for Sebastian, I mean, I think there are clubs in Spain who would take him if they could you know certainly I don't know if they'd be willing to pay but Valencia have been really interested in him in the past and if they could take him on loan they would and Ceballos might think oh you know I'll be met more on the radar mm. of Madrid and Spanish national team and that would tempt him I think sorely but it, I think it's worth Arsenal saying hey Madrid he's still under relatively long term contract with you can we have him for another 12 months I, I would definitely support that yeah. I don't know if I could support the investment. I mean, he was really good against Norwich and he was really good against Burnley. But he hasn't delivered that sort of consistency. No, consistency, exactly. Consistency is the issue. All right, his numbers are very good, by the way. Like his, If you look at him as, as his stats profile, he's really impressive. Um, so I don't know. I'm just throwing that in. Yeah, I thought uh, Clive actually made a great point on the Arsenal Vision podcast uh, last week. I think he said when he talked about Sabias as the kind of player who's uh, more in tune with just making the next pass rather than what the game needs. And I think mm. that's fair. He's kind of a busy, he's like a five-a-side player almost. Um, mm. But, you know, if he can respond to what Arteta is teaching him, as he did last night, then maybe, 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 maybe. Uh, but consistency is is going to be the big thing. And we've got some tough opposition coming up in the next few weeks. Oh, so man. I think it gets tough. It gets tough. I mean, what is it? Wolves, Leicester, Tottenham. Wolves, Leicester, mm, Tottenham, Liverpool, oh. Man City. Right. <laughs> Jesus. When is the Man City? Are there all those games before the Man City game? Yes. Jesus. That's the order. Wolves away on Saturday. Arsenal, Leicester. Uh, a Tuesday. A Tuesday. Sunday, away at the Toilet Bowl. Uh, then at home to Liverpool and then City at Wembley. Blimey. Blimey. It is a hell of a run. And then we finish up with Watford, who might be scrapping to save their lives. We shall see. Yeah. Can we just quickly check on our predictions? Oh, yeah. Um, See how we're doing. I'll stick them out of the email. Yeah, you dig um, them out of the email. We did do predictions. We Here did. We go. Um, so, uh, Man City, we both predicted a defeat. We were indeed defeated. Um, Genius. Brighton. Genius. We both predicted a win. <laughs> we were indeed defeated. <laughs> 
Southampton mm-hmm. predicted a win. I Congratulations. did. Congratulations. Yay. I predicted a draw. Um, Loser. We didn't, Sheff- we didn't predict Sheffield United. We both predicted we'd beat Norwich. That's pretty good. And what's Wolves. what's going to happen this weekend? Uh, you said draw. Right. And I said a defeat. Okay. Prove us wrong, Arsenal. Please. Prove us wrong. We love being wrong. <laughs> yeah. We've made such a habit of it for so long now. We're, this would be a lovely one. We're really fucking good at it. Really good at it. So it would be great. Anyway, this has been a fucking mega part too. Um, so we're going to leave it there. And we are going to discuss Wolves on Monday. Um, I don't know if I'm going to have a podcast tomorrow because I've got all kinds of stuff going on, but I will try maybe get something together tomorrow in terms of a regular arsecast. Uh, but I can't promise anything in that regard. Uh, if not, James and I will be here on Monday, hopefully talking about Arsenal, making us look like absolute chumps. I hope that's the case. Uh, thanks as ever for listening, subscribing and all the rest. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye bye. holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.